Welcome to the Golf Betting System Podcast 72. We are covering the 2019 Wells Fargo Championship on the PGA Tour and the Volvo China Open on the European Tour. This podcast is for listeners of 18 and above. I'm Steve Bamford, PGA Tour Preview at Golf Betting System, and with me we have European Tour expert Paul Williams. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Steve. How are you? Refreshed. Very good. It was great to have a week off. Yeah, it's nice that the um, the tour throws these occasional weeks in where you can sneak out and uh, get away from the golf for a little while, give your brain a rest. I, I had uh, I dropped my phone in the swimming pool as soon as I arrived. Yeah, it's not, not ideal, that is it. <laughs> so uh, I had absolutely no contact with the outside world apart from my wife's phone, and um, I just I kind of just read lots of books. It was very good actually. Mm. Golfbettingsystem.co.uk is the website. Naturally, we're available on social media. You can join our Golf Betting System Facebook group. The link is available in the pod description box. You can follow me on Twitter at Bamford Golf. Paul is at Golf Betting. Look out for the Golf Betting System YouTube channel where I present the Golf Betting Show every week. I've just recorded those two. Uh, they're available at the Golf Betting System YouTube channel. This podcast is available on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, audio boom and via our gbs youtube channel subscribe and follow the podcast now i'll put a shout out because we haven't had a few for a couple of weeks please take time to rate and review us on itunes and naturally i will read them out at the start of next week's show now we've got a busy week next week we've got a couple of pods in mind uh you've got the betfred british masters yeah and looking I'm, forward to that. i've got the at&t byron nelson and then we're going to do a PGA Championship preview towards the middle of next week. So, if you can take time to rate and review us, we will be reading out your name and comments next week. Leave your name in the review so we can read it out on the podcast. All right. Where do we start? John Rahm. Is he going to win the PGA Championship, Paul? John Rahm. Rambo. <laughs> Yeah, not not quite top of my list right now. I don't think. You've always said he's a, he's a he's a he's a easy call. He's a he's a bully, isn't he? Give him a course where he can shoot thirty under, and John Boy loves it. Yeah, Brutal. I'm not sure that's Beth Page Black, is it? No, probably not. <laughs> See, Tiger Woods has been uh, installed as the new favourite for the uh, for the PGA as well. Not getting much change out of ten to one for for Tiger or DJ. To be fair, both of them around about the same same price right now. One thing I will say about Beth Page Black though, Lucas Glover, Nick Watney, both have got good records at Torrey Pines, where John Rahm won his first tournament. Mm. I'd rather have Rambo over Matsuama, for example, on Poana. Yeah, and you've got the Poana link between the two courses as well, haven't you? So and, and right. the length, the length as well. They've got to be similar kind of. Similar kind of length. There's a lot to ponder for the PGA. Um, and obviously with the change in the scheduling, it's come up on us very quickly, hasn't it, this year? So uh, that'll be an interesting show next week. So we'll do the um, we'll do the preview show, as you say, probably Wednesday. We'll get, uh, we'll get Barry involved if he's, uh, if he's around that day. Um, and then we'll have our actual picks show on the following Monday. So yeah, busy old week coming up. Yeah, it's going to be a busy one, which is always good. Um, I was talking to you this morning, actually. You've got players like Thomas and Tiger Woods who won't have played between Augusta mm. and the PGA, and I don't think that's a recipe for success either. No, and I suppose you had a few before who, you know, because of the way the schedule used to fall before, then I guess you had players who didn't play between the Masters and Sawgrass, for instance, did you? So, you know, the players have picked picked and chosen their their route to try and to optimise their game for the for the players before. But with it all being swapped around this year, clearly the players have had to uh, adapt a little bit, haven't they? As you say, J, uh, JT was due to play this week, wasn't he? But he's, uh, he's not here. I fancied him greatly because he was in the top two, I think, for Greens and Reg at Augusta. Yeah. Brilliant tee to green game. But game, I think he was like, he split, he's in the top five for fairways and he was banging it like 313. Had a great tee to green game at Augusta. I think it'd have been perfect for him this week, mm. quail. But um, yeah, he pulled out. He was in the original list that the um, Wells Fargo tournament had, so he yep. was there. He was, he was in the field, 
And then when the PGA list came out on Saturday morning, lo and behold, there was no Tom. There was no. Um, there was no Thomas. Mm. We had Chris Thompson, Michael Thompson, but no. <laughs> no JT. I like. My, I was checking again. Where the hell is he? Not there. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's still these. He hurt his wrist and this kind of stuff going on. So I don't know. I might have saved you a few quid, Steve. Oh well, I'd rather him withdraw beforehand than get there and withdraw. Mm. We've been down this route before. Um, what did you think of uh, Morocco? I, I like the I like the event. I like the like the track. I think it's a good good demanding track. Whereas you know, if you, you look at the demands of say the Indian Open, where the track is very very tricky, but to the degree that it's almost unfair. And at least with Morocco, the the layout there is fair. Um, it's tough, and it demands a lot from the uh, lot, lot from the golfers. But um, yeah, I it was again. It was close, wasn't it? I, I, I had Julian Suri as my as my top selection last week, and um, he got himself right in the mix again. What was that? How many second place finishes have I had in the last couple of months? Probably five, four. I think, four or five. Four or five. It's been a few, so it's getting quite frustrating. You know, obviously the, the process is nearly there, but um, it's just that these players aren't quite getting over the line. But I think you can boil it back to Friday night for for or Friday afternoon because he was um, he was standing on the ninth hole on Friday afternoon, which is the par three, the one over the uh, over the water, um, and just got a little bit greedy with his shot. He just tried to get a little bit too close to the pin and. Uh, Dunked it in the water and made a double. And that, that if he had, a, if he had just made a par on that hole, would have gone into the weekend in the lead. And I think from there he would have just um, pushed himself through and, um, and and did what he did on Sunday, which is he he produced a bogey free round on Sunday, which around that track is pretty pretty special stuff, um, particularly on a you know a, a, when push comes to the shove on on a Sunday. But um, it just wasn't quite good enough. Jorge Campillo got that elusive win, which uh, to be fair, he's been. He's been threatening to do it for some time now, hasn't he? But um... they've got a crop there, haven't they, the Spaniards? Mm. Otegi, Campillo. Who's the one I always forget? Oh, uh, yeah, I know you mean. <laughs> Brain goes dead. This is great listening, isn't it? Nacho El- Elviro, your Nacho old friend Elviro. Nacho, old Dorito Elviro. Yeah, Nacho. Yeah, they've yeah, got no, a very good crop of players there, haven't they? Yeah, there's, there's there's some there's some good talent there, and there's some you know likely to be some decent wins from those players over the uh, over the forthcoming years. Do no you think, think any one of those three could actually push on and become a, a top fifty world player? I don't know. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Otegi. I think he's a good player, and you know when he's on his game, there's not much to dislike. He's he's long. He's um, it was long enough. He's uh, he hits a lot of greens in regulation, and he can putt very, very well. There's a lot to like about his game. He's just he's not always that consistent. And mm. it's interesting that his wins have come in these kind of pseudo match play type formats, or the the, the Paul Laurie match play, which was the other one he won. Um, you know, as opposed to um, as opposed to stroke play events. But um, I expect him to correct that at some point and put it at some point relatively soon. Get a, it's a stroke play event under his belt and um, and push on. I think of the of the names you mentioned, he's probably the one that's more likely to to push on towards that top fifty. And I don't think the top fifty is actually that difficult to crack if you can put a few wins together on the European tour nowadays. There's chances out there to be had. Get a couple of uh, lofty finishes and some of the bigger events you get invited to. Uh, yeah, the WGCs or a, a top ten at a major or something, and you, you you're going to be uh, in the vicinity. I think for a player like the Atagi. Yeah. A, uh, going back to last week, there's a few players that will be a bit disappointed they didn't convert. I mean, Eric Van Royen again. Um, he was in a great position. To, to win Sean Crocker who I came very very close to backing last week and I've backed Crocker a number of times in the past and, uh, and left him out last week he was the last one off my list so um, when he was uh, getting himself into a very strong position um, that was uh, that was painful viewing but um, he couldn't uh, he couldn't quite convert uh, Jordan Smith's another one who's kind of bubbling around and, and another in, a, in another 
decent position last week before fading away on Sunday. So didn't even reward each way um, backers in the end. Jordan Smith. So don't know. There's a, a, a few few positives and negatives to take out of it. But yeah, Julian Suri for me was uh, was the ultimate disappointment. Thomas Detry got um, within a within a shot of the uh, the places who are backed um, for top seven, and then uh, I think he finished ninth in the end. So that's a little bit. Of a this is the European tour, though. These days, isn't it? It's mm. just. I mean, and it, it comes across. I mean, you put this in your betting preview. Both of our betting previews available in the description box, of course, listeners. As are um, our two golf betting shows for the week. But you put this in your preview. You've now got a situation where 15, 14, 16, 17 players are thirty-three to one or less. Yeah. And that just tells you the state of the European Tour. You've got a lot of crop of players there that any one of any one of them can win on any week. There's yeah. no one ever that's going to dominate. No, no, and, it's, and that's that's the level we're dealing with, isn't it? The with the with the China Open this week, yeah, the bookies have clearly struggled to differentiate the market. Um, it's an odd market because as you get with these China Open events, you get. Um, Kind of half the field which you've uh, you've come across and um, you, you know who the players are, and then you get a lot of local players, an awful lot of local players who um, trying to distinguish anything um, other than just looking at their their form and, um, and and event history if they have any. Um, trying to distinguish anything about them is incredibly difficult, and they're very long priced and um, they're very unlikely to to actually feature in the event. So. It kind of makes for an odd, odd betting heat, I must say, because uh, as you say, you got uh, it was, when I when I put the preview together yesterday, there were seventeen players in that thirty-three to one or shorter bracket. So, yeah, odd one. Should we go into the split? Isn't it difficult yeah. to split? So we might as well go through the China Open while yeah, we're on, 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 on. on the on the subject of that. Um, so yeah, I'll take you through the betting and then I'll go through the, the basics of it. But yeah, at the top, um, Hao Tong Li is is the highest ranked player in the field actually. Um, so deserves favouritism, I guess, in that respect. And um, he's been playing some decent enough stuff without playing exceptionally over the last few weeks. Forty um, third at the Masters on his last outing. So you know, middling. That was going to be better than a, a lot of the players here. Most of them won't have actually played the Masters, of course. But um, nothing spectacular to suggest that you're going to dive in at 14 to 1 and empty your piggy bank on it, I must say. Julian Suri, 16 to 1. Last week's winner, Jorge Campillo, 18 to 1. Jordan Smith, I just mentioned as well, um, 20 to 1. If you fancy having another bash on Jordan, Um, he's close, Jordan, and I can see the logic. And if you, you kind of link this track, which we'll go into in a second, with um, Alex Levy, who's won here. Um, Jordan Smith beat Alex Levy in Germany um, a few weeks, a few months, a few years ago when he, when he got days, his, uh, weeks, months, yeah, and years. I, I do yeah, remember it, yeah. But yeah. Go on. I, I, yeah, I, I, I remember the, I remember the play. I, me, I remember the pain because I was on Levy who missed that three foot putt to win the, uh, to win the mm-hmm. playoff. But yeah, Jordan Smith um, clearly there's, there's a bit of correlation there. Feet. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm being generous might with three been, Might have even been two. <laughs> Yeah. I just remember the pain as you missed it. Um, yeah. Eric Van Royen, twenty to one as well. Um, you've got Alexander Bjork, who's defending, but from a different track at twenty fives, um, and then into the likes of Ross Fisher. Ross Fisher's interesting because he's he's striking the ball. His iron play has been very very strong recently. Um, he's just not found that spark with a putter. Um, I did come very close to backing him this week. I must say Fisher because I think you could take a chance on someone like him um, who. If he can find that putter on that given week, um, he's more than capable of winning an event like this. Um, it's just a big if. I did notice it, it tends to be 15, 18 under wins this. That that sounds like a Fisher score when he's finds the putter. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in that bracket. Um, if you if you look back at the the, the events held specifically on this track, um, just going through those, Alex Levy is the next in the market actually, thirty to one. Um, Alex Levy won here in 2014 at the Gens on Golf Club, which is the host this year. Actually, it should have been at Chengdu, but it's, uh, it, it was it was um, it was switched quite late in the day for for reasons that haven't fully been disclosed, or I haven't read if they have been fully disclosed anyway. 
Um, so we're, we're at Genzon, which hosted here in 2014 and also hosted the Shenzhen International between 2015 and 2017. So if you're using any of the event history stats, um, do bear that in mind that 2014 is the only Volvo China Open that was hosted here at Genzon. Uh, that was won by Alex Levy at 19 under. Um, the other three Shenzhen Internationals that um, were hosted here, you got uh, Kiradek Apibarnrat in 2015, 12 under, Sumin Lee the year after at 16 under, and Bernd Wiesberger on the same score the year after that. So as you say, it's kind of that middling um, teens under par that tends to be the... Um, the winning score around this particular track. It's a Neil Hayworth design, par 72, 7,145 yards in length. Um, watering play on 12 holes, platinum paspalum greens throughout. But for me, this is a course that's very much a second shot course. If you look at the stats um, from those four events that have been held here, um, the driving accuracy stats were high across the board. The very few people who were really, really struggling from off the tee. Assuming Lee won um, that event in the middle, he finished 50th out of the players who made the cut, so out of the 65, 70, or whatever the final number was that week. Um, he finished 50th in terms of driving accuracy with 64% of fairways. So he hit nearly two-thirds of fairways, 50th in that rank down the field, and... Uh, you know, clearly the guys who were hitting a lot of fairways were, you know, high into the 80s. So it's not difficult in terms of finding the fairway off the green. Um, you need to be dialed in with your irons. You need to be getting it close. And you need to be minimising bogeys if you do manage to miss the, fair, uh, miss the green from the fairway. Um, other than that, just make sure you're putting well on these platinum paspalum greens. And ultimately, again, going back to Ross Fisher, that kind of what put me off there, because I think you're going to need to be able to produce a decent enough putting week. And, you know, whilst he's striking the ball so well um, with his irons, I just I can't put the faith in him that he's going to produce this kind of 1.65, whatever it needs to be, putting average week that's actually going to get him the job done. So, um. Other little trends, uh, again, it's difficult to know what to read into this because it is a different track to the ones they've used recently other than 2014. If you look back at the last 10 winners of the Volvo China Open, every one of them had produced a top 10 finish in their previous 10 starts and four of them were coming directly in from a top 10 finish the previous event. So they all had a little bit of um, incoming form. Um, then if you look at the four winners here that we read through earlier, so Levy, uh, Afi Barnrat, Sumin Lee and Bernd Wiesberger, all of them were making their debut on this particular track the week they won. So trying to read into any course form, um, probably going to be um, a bit of a red herring or maybe a red herring. Um, certainly looking at the Volvo China Open form in general um, isn't going to tell you a great deal other than the players who tend to play well. Um, in the country so um, yeah one to be relatively cautious about and I've, I've gone with three um, three as a result of that but I, I like I like the kind of decent form angle I like um, players who um, can attack the par fives here I think par five scoring is pretty important um, and I like the players who have shown a bit of putting form on um, Paspalum Greens recently so we've had Paspalum Greens in Oman we've had Paspalum Greens in um, in Saudi so far this season. So there's a little bit of uh, recent uh, possible form to, to dig into if you search around the uh, search around the stats. Um, the first of my four was Fabrizio Zanotti, who has been playing some cracking stuff this season and um, was pushed out to 33-1 to 1 when the markets opened yesterday. Um, largely off the back of one round. Um, he finished with 82 in Morocco uh, last week. Um and to be fair, at that point in time, he'd already, his chance had gone. He wasn't going to win the tournament. Just, to, you know, it's kind of throttle down and, uh, and and get yourself to the airport, I think. Um, yeah, prior to that, 32nd Abu Dhabi, 29th in Dubai, 24th in Saudi, 2nd in Oman behind uh, Kirkit Jama. He was sick for putting that week. Um, top 12 greens in regulation, his last four starts. Um, that's his game. He's, if he's hitting lots of greens in regulation, he just finds that decent putting week, as he did in Oman, on very, very similar greens to this. And he can be a serious contender in my book. 
attempt uh, for par five scoring for the season to date. And if you look back at those um, Shenzhen International outings um, from the last few years, he finished 16th and 5th here in consecutive years. So he's got a bit of course form. Um, up, you know, if you can look past last week's closing round, then he's got some good current form. And he's got some good um, passable form as well. I think Zanotti can go well. Um, he was, I say, thirty-three to one when they opened yesterday. There's a little as thirty to one now is the uh, the best price you'll get, other than going direct to the exchange. Um, Kurt Kitchyama, who I mentioned having won in Oman, um, he's one of these players. As you said, there's, there's a crop of decent talent coming through, and. Uh, I guess sometimes you, it's difficult to gauge whether these players are going to be a one-off winner um, or um, you know they're going to progress through to to bigger and better things. So when Kitchyama won the Mauritius Open earlier the season, so in the back end of um, back end of December, wasn't it, or back end of last last year anyway? You know, he kind of looked at that and thought, "Wow, it's a low-key event at the end of the year. Throws up some strange uh, strange results. You know, maybe that's a flash in the pan." Um, then he won an Oman of some of, of absolutely no form coming into it. Again, he'd kind of done virtually nothing since that uh, since that win. So two wins in the space of you know, four months or there or thereabouts is um, is a decent return for anyone really. Um, and I'm I'm happy to take a chance on him. I think the um, I think the the uh, Paspalum link from Oman is good. He was third for putting there. Um, he's long. He's aggressive. Three eighteen off the tee averages. Twenty sixth for par five scoring. And 14th last week in Morocco on a track that doesn't really fit his game in terms of um, you know, smashing it into the trees and trying to, trying to dig himself out of it. This is far more um, far more forgiving from off the tee. And before that, he was hitting a lot of greens. You know, he's gone. You know, you average seventy percent greens regulation, man. So you combine a decent bit of length on, a, on an attackable risk reward type track. Um, with uh, with the with the will and ability to score well on the par fives, um, and I think K- Kitchan can go well. I th- I don't think we should ignore him and think that he's the kind of player who's going to get his couple of wins and drop, uh, drift away. You know, some of these youngsters have got um, you know some real ambition to to use the European Tour as a quick stepping stone and get themselves get themselves over onto the PGA Tour and uh, really contend for some decent prizes. Mm. Um. Two more, Masahiro Kawamura, um, fifty to one. I've backed him at. Um, actually, if you look at the the winners of the European Tour events so far this season, three of the sixteen regular events have been won by Q School grads, and Kawamura was another one of these you know, Q School grads who's come through. Um, he's won the Japan Tour. He won when he was uh, he was nineteen a few years back. Um, but when he's played on the uh, European Tour since then, fifth in Mauritius. Um, 56th in Oman at the start of this year, but that again was on these Paspalum Greens, 10th for putting that week, 20th in Qatar, 15th in Malaysia, 2nd in India, and 6th last week in Morocco. And I saw him, I, I had him earmarked for this event, so as so often happens, as you know, Steve, you get a player that you quite fancy the following week, and then you're just hoping they don't um, really appear so prominently on the previous week's leaderboard and, mm. uh, and, and massacre their price. But, uh, Happens all the time. Yeah, it does. Um, he finished la- sixth last week in Morocco, which was a, a bit disappointing because I think I'd have got a better price out of him had he drifted away to kind of 22nd or something. But um, 50 to 1, I think, is still worth taking. I think he's the kind of player who couldn't can win this kind of event. Um, 16th for par 5 scoring again. You know, a similar pattern to the other players that I've put up so far. There's, they're long enough, aggressive enough, got a bit of uh, passable form, and uh, got the will and ability to take this event. I think. And um, final selection, Min Woo Lee, who I got eighty to one yesterday. He's been backed off the board so far. He's, he's down to um, generally sixty six to one and forty five to one in places. So if you do fancy a bit of Min Woo Lee, the young um, Australian. Then um, time to time to get in quickly before the price evaporates completely. Um, he's one of these players who's playing a, most of his events on um, on invites. He's got no official status, so he needs to take advantage of these events and uh, you know have a lofty finish to earn some points and to also potentially get himself a top ten to to get into a subsequent event, which uh, which can keep these little runs going for these uh, these players who are trying to 
trying to make their name and, to, and trying to progress their career. Um, we've seen him a couple of times um, in the World Super Six. He's finished um, quarter-finalist twice the last two years. That's really where we've seen him most, I guess. But um, Saudi, which I mentioned before, um, as, as having the Paspalum Greens, he produced a weekend of 63-63 earlier this year to finish fourth, which is his best stroke play event on the European Tour by by distance. Um, and very, very impressive that weekend. Again, another one of these um, young, aggressive, um, capable players. Third for par five scoring for the season to date. Um, sixth. In Qatar, going into Sunday, was um, one of his more recent uh, outings. He, he drifted a little bit on the Sunday, so he didn't really make an impression from there. But I think you're going to find that one week he gets himself into that spot and he just produces one of these fantastic low rounds. And I think a, a risk-reward track is right up his alley. I think, he'll, uh, I think he'll really enjoy this week's test, I must say. But yeah, the four I've gone with um, for this particular week. Who were who were the ones that um, came closest that you didn't put in? Because um, they're the ones that everyone wants to back. Yeah, <laughs> they're the ones. Yeah, they're the ones I'll be screaming at when they're up the leaderboard. Um, Ross Fisher, I've mentioned. Um, the other one was Scott Hend, um, and you never quite know who's Scott Hend, do you? I, I've backed him a few times at relatively short prices. He's forty-five to one best price at the moment. Um, actually, a little bit of fifties. Just looking at it now. Um, he won recently, so you know the price on Hend has has taken a bit of a bit of a dip. Um, I think again he's got the right kind of game for this. He has he, he performs best on both um, Paspalum or Bermuda greens. Um, he's got the length and the desire to attack these holes. I just I it's the kind of player, and I know you you, you have similar players as well. Each time you you consider and actually back him, it's kind of, kind of the Siwoo Kim element, isn't it? You, you you fancy him for a particular week, so you put him in, you back him, and then okay. miss the cut. Um. So yeah, I I kind of reluctantly left him out, but um, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him go well. I must say. Yeah, they're, they're the only ones really that I I came close to. There's you know there's a lot of players. You know, Paul Dunn. I've been back in virtually every week so inevitably the week that I leave him alone he'll probably do well this week doesn't feel like a Paul Dunn course though does it well no but he he was struggling like mad to make a birdie first three days um, in Morocco Um, so he played himself right out of contention just wasn't going to happen and he made seven birdies on the final day he made a few bogeys to go with it as well but this is wider off the tee this will give me a bit more forgiving um, and um, you know, if he's found a little bit of a spark with his scoring and with his putter, um, he could be devastating. So, I yeah, I, I, you know, you can follow some of these players over a cliff, and I've, I've, I've got to the edge of that cliff with Paul Dunn, but um, well, like Tony Fee now. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll get to the Tony. How many Fee millions now, of people in this in the United States and uh, Britain have followed Tony Fee now over a cliff? Mm. But don't worry, I've tipped him up again this week. Um, yeah. I'll tell you a player that I thought, and he, you tipped him up last week, he did, he did sweet Fanny Adams. Mm. Is that is this uh, Spaniard, Arnus? Yeah, yeah. It's... Now, I know he hasn't got any paspalum form, but he's a real greens in regulation monster, and he can hit it a long, long way, can't he? He can, yeah. He, he was tempting to go back in and just write off last week as a... You know, as a one-off, just wasn't going to happen. Um, he started poorly. It, it, nothing happened yeah, on the Friday. Over after four or something. Wasn't it? Yeah, it just it just didn't happen. And sometimes you get to a course um, on debut yeah. and you take a look at it and it you just just doesn't fit. And um, he'd been playing some good stuff up till then. Yeah, I, again, in theory, this should this should suit him far far better. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to know exactly what he's he, you know what kind of course he's really going to be capable of playing on. Because I think he's well, the got only thing a lot I know of here is fourth in China. Fourth and eighteenth in China, at the end of last year, mm. consecutive Hainan Open and the Foshan Open. Yeah, so he might have some decent kind of feelings arriving out there. And this is you don't really know with um, a lot of these um, young players that are coming out of the old, uh, out of the um, European Challenge. Or, but you just think with him, fourteenth in Qatar and second in Kenya. I mean, looking at how he plays. 
Kenya doesn't. It was a bit strange that he almost won that because yeah. that was a very claustrophobic short golf course. Yeah, and that's kind of where I got you know some of my clearly full, uh, failed logic last week to, uh, to to include him in the team last mm. week. Um, yeah, and if you can look past that as being just a you know it was never going to work, it was never going to happen for him last week, and uh, wipe the slate clean and start again, and um, he could go well. And he just isn't the greatest of putters. But on a, on a par 72, where length and actually um, being able to play good approach shots comes into play, you might find Arnoux starts to gravitate. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think if you were to boil down one single stat for this week, it probably is greens and regulation. Um, and it's that hitting, hitting those greens, particularly if you can find the greens and two from the par fives, mm-hmm. make your score there. Um, and, uh, and get yourself up to that kind of mid-teens underscore level that we mentioned earlier. Um, you're going to be in the mix, I think. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot. There's, there's a lot of players you could uh, you could put into that kind of bracket. Uh, Gargajit Buller is another one who can hit a lot of greens in regulation when he's playing well, and he's been putting well as well recently. So, yeah, this is it. This is the European Tour. You, you could mm. you could have a short list of twelve. Yeah. And I'm not being pedant, you know, that's just the reality of it. It's such an open house at the moment. Yeah. Indeed. Wales Fargo Championship over in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. In my mind, it's always one of the prestigious domestic PGA Tour events. Um, Its scheduling doesn't help it because it's always been around either prior to or just after the Players' Championship, and now it finds itself two weeks in advance of the PGA Championship. But in a way, I mean, a lot a lot of people are looking at their schedules. A lot of the better players will have thought, well, what's a really good warm-up for mm. Beth Page in Quail Hollow? Probably, you know, with the fact that it is a major venue, um, isn't a million miles away from that. Um. We've got Rory McIlroy's favourite. He's won here twice. We've got Jason Day as uh, the second favourite. He's clearly at, uh, at the defending champion. So it's a quality field at the top end. A lot of the elite guys are using this as their warm-up event. So McIlroy, Jason Day, Fowler, Justin Rose, Webb Simpson, Hideki Matsuama, Tony Finau. Mm. We've got Sergio, Paul Casey, Mickelson, Woodland. I mean, that's a good top end. Yeah, it does. It does tend to ease out quite easily, though. The mid, the mid range, there isn't a lot of quality there. They seem to be missing it for whatever reason. Maybe they played last week in that ridiculous t- uh, team event or whatever. Yeah, some will pick and choose, won't they? Particularly with the PGA coming up, if they're, if they're involved in that. Well, the other thing is, I just don't think the golf course suits a lot of players because mm. it is total. I mean, it's seven thousand, almost six hundred yards, and a par seventy-one. You know, Brian Gay must look at this and think, "My God, I've got no chance." And you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll go and look after the kids this week. Yeah. So you know, there's a lot of players out there that won't want to play here because it is a stiff test. It's a long classical golf course. It's a beaut. I love it. I think mm. it's a it's a beautiful golf course. Uh, Twelve under won it last year with Jason Day, and then at the PGA Championship, uh, I think it was eight under Thomas. But that was you know set up very firm, very fast. Clearly a major major kind of um, course setup. Um, things to be wary of here. It's very easy to look at this and go, eh, you know, it's a certain shape and type of golf course. But actually, the Tom Fazio redesign for the PGA Championship has quite considerably changed this golf course. Because mm. it used to be um, a very attacking golf course where effectively, um, you know, we're, we're looking at some quite low scoring. I think I think it was 22 under at one year that won around it. Yeah, McElroy, 2015, 21 under. Um and it was it was kind of in certain conditions they could take this apart, but the, clearly Kerry Haig, um, the events director at PGA of America, said to um, said to Tom Fazio, who 
was given the redesign. We need to toughen up the golf course. We certainly need to toughen up the front of the golf course. Yeah. And that's exactly what he's done. So, yeah, as I said, eight under won the PGA and 12 under last year, Jason Day. And they've stiffened the front. They've taken out one of the par fives. And they just made it a far more um, stringent golf course. Mm. Now, there's clear links, clear links between um, Augusta and here. You can see that with just the list of winners. I mean, McElroy's a two-time winner. Um, you've got the likes of Ricky Fowler, who's won here, Lucas Glover, um, Michael Kim, not Michael Kim, good God, Anthony Kim in 2008, won his first ever PGA Tour title here. Uh, I don't see Michael Kim winning around here. He's bottom of par five, par five scoring, which isn't going to win you a no, quite holler. No, it doesn't quite work. It doesn't quite work. But for me, I think what's what the difference here is between um, here and Augusta is. Augusta, in most years, I'm writing off Patrick Reed's win, um, is a total and utter ball-striking GIR test. Hmm. Well, I don't see that here in recent times and I don't see it here after the redesign because you just look at the numbers you know we look at them week in week out across all the different tournaments but if you look at the traditional stats you know the DD the driving accuracy the greens and reg uh, and we've got a small sample size clearly two winners but driving distance 8th so yeah bomb accuracy 56th greens and reg 43rd Proximity to hole 44th, and I think that's key, actually. It's easy to gloss over that. Scrambling 16th, putting average second. Short game. <laughs> yeah. All about the short game. And then strokes gained, uh, the new statistics. 21st off the tee, 33rd for approach. Now, you very rarely see that. Mm. Uh, 12th around the green, so tee to green comes in at 10th, but that tee to green is more around than approach. And then it's third for strokes game putting. So it feels very much to me like bomb and gouge. Mm. Very, very, it's bomb and gouge, but you also need someone who's very, very comfortable on the greens and very comfortable with the flat stick. Because if you're, if you're averaging 44th for proximity to hole, you've got to be a natural putter and scrambler to be yeah. able to actually make the difference here. Well, you've got to be nailing a few of those longer parts, haven't you? Yeah. You know, so if you're if you're a very poor putter and you can't get the ball anywhere close enough to the hole to just have your, you know, your four, five, six foot nudges in for birdie, yeah. it's going to be a tough old week. And if you've got no short game, if you can't scramble... Um, and one of the stats I always look at here year in, year out, which seems to work, is scrambling from over 30 yards as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's uh, something that I've built into this week. So, yeah, I'm just looking for... I've, I've, I've gone down the route of keeping it quite simple this week, which, again, is something I'm looking at doing more and more now. Less stats, more gut feel, more looking at where players have done well in the past for correlating courses and just working it through that way. So, um, of the top four, I mean, some people would say, you know, Rory could walk this, and clearly at six to one he can walk it, two wins around here. How do you think he reacts after the, sort of the the lows of the world match play and, the, and uh, Augusta, where clearly, you know, mentally he wasn't there? It's a difficult one, isn't it? He always it's grabs me as a momentum player. You know, I'd rather back him at eleven to two when he's just won the top week before. Yeah, well, I, and you know, I, I was on him as you were for the um, uh, for the Masters on that basis, but um, it just didn't didn't quite happen for him, did it? Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, up until that point, he'd been playing some cracking golf. You know, it was it, it was culminating in the win, which eventually came at Sawgrass. But um, you know, going back to a, a course that, as you say, he's, he's got some fond memories of. You can see why he's priced as he is, but um, that's no bargain at that kind of price, six to one, thirteen to two. If you, if you're lucky, and shop around a little bit. Yeah, he didn't do. Um, I'm just trying to. 
it's interesting here because it isn't quite as easy as just tight, you know, Quail Hollow. Uh, in terms of the Wells Fargo, rather, you've got to b uh, build into this um, the PGA Championship as well. Mm. But I'm just looking at his last outings here since the redesign: twenty second and sixteenth. Yeah, that's not paying you back at six to one, is it? He won here in 2015 when he was in his pomp and he just won the world match play. I think he just finished eighth at the players uh, yeah. the week before. He won at 11 to 2 and he's priced up this week at 6 to 1. Mm. He'd won twice that year as well. Mm. I don't think, I don't, I don't know. 6 to 1 doesn't seem, it's, it's the right price, I'm sure, but it doesn't seem a price that I'm willing to take. No. Um, I'd be the same with Ricky Fowler at 12s. Um, he doesn't feel like a twelve to one winner to me, Ricky Fowler. We know we know Ricky's trying to focus for the for the big events, isn't he? And is this really where he's you know again is he is he in warm up mode? Would he play next week? Probably not, will he? No. So this is his warm up for the PGA Championship, and um, yes, we've seen him do well in his warm up events before. But um, the focus clearly, the game, the, the objective is to do well with Beth Page in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, twelve to one. It's not really an each way proposition for most mm. punters, is it? The one that I would have backed, and the one I came closest to backing, was Jason Day, who uh, you know eleven to one isn't too bad a price, I suppose, for the defending champion. Also, a guy that finished fifth at Augusta. The the number that got me at Augusta was he was in the top ten for greens in regulation. So when you've got someone of the ability of Day with the short game, the putting, and the fact he's hitting within the top. Uh, sort of 12 percentile of the uh, field in terms of GIO at Augusta, it's a winning combination. Mm. But he's never defending a title. Now, you could have said the same thing about Paul Casey at um, yep. Copperhead a few weeks ago. He'd never defended a title, and he'd only ever won in the States twice. But he won that quite comfortably in the end, didn't he, Casey? But yep. also, he was 28-1 to 1 that week, where Day's 11s, so... Yeah, you've got this perennial challenge with Day as well, haven't you? That, you know, does he, he play? Get, does he play? <laughs> does he play four rounds? Does he does he play the first five holes and call it a day? Um, yeah, I, I I really struggled to fancy him on that basis or any event to be honest. Um, you, you're taking a chance that his fitness and his health is is good enough to see through four days first and foremost, and then is he going to perform well as, as well on top of that? It's um, it's a tough it's a tough one to try and. Justify, I think. If I say to you, what is Justin Rose's bread and butter? What would be your instant answer? Well, he's irons, in my view. He's his approach play. He's, uh, Listen he, to this. Since, when he's Bay, since, since Saudi, yeah. where he was 77.8% GIR, but still missed the cut. Yeah. But then he just won the week before at um, Torrey Pines. So I expect he was racked of um, of um, jet lag. Mm. He's been 29th, 58th, and uh, I think he, he, he well he didn't even make the cut at the Masters. Mm. What the, the 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 greens in regulation, which is his bread and butter, is completely gone. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't bode well, does it? You know, it doesn't. It, it, it's drifting out. Um, well, I haven't seen him at fourteen to one for a PGA Tour event, a non-major, no. for quite a while. No, and out to twenty. And like you PGA said, he's tw he's, yeah, twenty at the PGA. Mm. So if Rose finds anything this week, tee to green, which of course I'm sure that he can, he, you would assume he's been focused on it really hard. Um, that twenty to one won't be available for Beth Page in two weeks' time. No, we'll have to see how he starts from me and uh, take a view from there. Mm. Um, two things to note here, or certainly one thing to note. They've started to overseed the greens at Quail Hollow. So they um, effectively, they changed from Mini Verdi Bermuda grass to Champion Bermuda grass for the PGA. And they were pure Mini Verdi, uh, sorry, they were pure Champion for the PGA. But because of the time of year, in North Carolina, in late April, early May, they overseed this with Poe Trivialists. So that's just something to bear in mind. And when you read various player interviews from last year's Well Fargo, they mention the fact that the greens are easier than they were for the PGA. Mm. So you do get some players that are quite potent in terms of Poe Trivialist putting, overseeding. 
Yeah. One of those is our old friend Paul Casey. Yeah, and he's got some uh, some decent enough form here, hasn't he? Hmm. So Casey, I think, is the kind of bloke that will do you over at the players. He'll do you over at Augusta, and then he'll pop up at a tournament that is well within his wheelhouse and put in a contending performance. Yeah, he did catch... I mean, again, the price is pretty prohibitive of Casey, isn't it? But he did catch my eye with his progressive form 41st, 12th, 5th 12th, here over the last three years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can you, you, you've got to be able to stomach that price, haven't you? So... 20 to 1, I've got Mark down here. Yeah, there's a little bit more. 28s if you shop about. but um, that's a, There's a lot of players, a lot of good players in that field who's got a beat to, to justify that. So where I've come from with this is total driving. If you're long and straight, it really helps. But I also need to see people that have got some kind of short game. Now, that doesn't ne- necessarily need to be a season's amount of short game for, in terms of putting. Because putting doesn't tend to work like that. But someone that's been showing um, the ability to putt of late and or somebody that we just know is a natural putter. And I've come up with five names for this week. Um, I couldn't resist Tony Fee now, who I managed to get on board at 25 to 1 yesterday. That looks like it's all gone uh, Tuesday morning. Mm. But he's... he's You've got the right game, isn't you, you? You were talking about Jordan Smith for the European Tour. He, 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 I mean, it's difficult. He's linking Jordan Smith and Tony Van. But you just get some players that just constantly tournament in, tournament out, get in contention and fall away or don't mm. don't convert. Finau's got to win soon, surely. I mean, this golf course is made for him. Yeah. Absolutely made for the guy. I was on him last year and uh, he finished 16th, I think it was, or 21st. But he fi- he, f- he fired in a final round f- uh, 66, which was the best in the field by two shots mm. in quite blustery conditions. It's just, I think, I don't know, it's, it's just a mental scenario with Tony. But if there was a win in him, is that win coming in a major, a WGC, or is that going to come in a high-quality event on the PGA Tour where some of the elite literally are focusing more on a on a, on a a major rather than this particular week? I think he'll take it regardless. It's been a while for Tony, isn't it? So, you know, he's been, he's been there or thereabouts for, for some time now. Yeah, he's, he's, and he's been, he was well-fancied again at the Masters, wasn't he? There's a lot of people on him in Augusta. Um, a bit shorter this week, as you say, but... Uh, the course does appear to play to his strengths, I must say. 23rd for putting average and 5th for putts per round at Augusta. He was 10th for putting average at the Texas Open as well. So the putter is is working quite consistently for Tony. It's actually been the greens in regulation game, which used to be his bread and butter that's struggling. He was also third for scrambling at Augusta. He's 75% around Augusta. I mean, one of the most difficult tracks to scramble around. Yeah. And he, yes, made, you know, he was up and down, three and four. Mm. Uh, he blitzed the field at Masters as well. 3.16 off the tee, first for driving distance. And he was eighth for total driving. So he's hitting the ball fairly straight, nice and long. And around here, where it seems to be more about short game than actually monotonously, meticulously hitting greens and reg, I think it, it could feel right, fall right into his wheelhouse. Mm. So Tony Finau at the top end, married up with a player who's finished 5th, 7th, 3rd, 5th, 2nd, 9th, 3rd, 4th, 4th, 5th. That's a consistent stretch, isn't it? Eight top fives and two further top tens in 16 appearances here. Mm. And I just love his uh, calf uh, videos on Twitter. I think he's a real Twitter star now, isn't he, Phil Mickelson? I, I yeah, love the stuff yeah. he puts out. Yeah. That, that thing he put out about driving down Magnolia Lane on the Saturday and the fact he was playing with Matt Kuchar and he wouldn't have a bit of side action with him because <laughs> he knew that Kuchar <laughs> would only play him 3.5%. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. No, he's, he's good value on Twitter. Left here. 
18th at Augusta, which is his best major finish since 2016. And I just, I just think in a field like this, uh, and also he's the kind of guy who he's 44 PGA Tour victories at the age of 48. He's won twice in the last two seasons. So he can win now at this level. Uh, and him going to a course which is absolutely made for him, but a tournament he's never won, mm. after Tiger's just delivered one of the most amazing sporting triumphs of all time. You just get the feeling it might it, it'll work one way. It could it could just inspire Phil to greater heights this week. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. And he keeps talking about 50 PGA Tour victories before he finally calls it quits. And there aren't many better opportunities than one Pebble Beach and two here at Quail Hollow. Would you say he's on, what is he, 44 is on at the moment, is he? 44 PGA 44, Tour yeah. victories, yeah. Six to go. To, he's quite capable. He's been playing well enough, hasn't he, to, uh, to notch a few more up before he, before he calls it a day. Uh, record club head speed. He reckons he's hitting it further and higher and harder than he ever has done in the past. It, it just feels like Quail Hollow should suit him this week. And clearly, you know, we know about his short game genius and his putting. Um that's that's not in question, clearly, over a long, long period of time. And if I'm looking at putting average on my eight-week tracker, he sits second and Tony Finau sits third. Mm. Behind one Rory McIlroy. Mm. So interesting. Mm. Those are the two I'm picking at the top end. Uh, another guy I think is due a win and this could be the perfect course for him is Jason Kokrag. I'm on him at 40s. Point each way, 40 to 1. I'm on Jason. Yeah, he's getting close to Jason, isn't he? He's another he's one, close. isn't he? Yeah. yeah, he's another one. And do you know the thing that I, that's actually grabbed me with Jason when I looked closely at him is the fact that last three outings, he's ranked 5th, 8th and 3rd. For strokes gained. Now, most people say, well, strokes gained approach for Jason. He's an absolute, you know, that's putting. Mm. So clearly, for a player that instant, well, you know, you know, when you go down the, the field and you, you're, you're making some first assumptions just based on your golf knowledge, you think, well, Jason Kokrag, he can't putt, it's bloody useless. He won't do very good this week. But actually, that's the strength of his game right now. It's the flat stick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that it might make, not that been, does make him dangerous, doesn't it? It does make game. him dangerous because you just know that T to Green is he's one of the best non-elite golfers on the PGA Tour. Mm. Similar in kind of stature and ability to a like kind of loot list. Yeah. 11th for total driving, 32nd for driving distance. Um, hits the ball high enough and he's also in the top 50 for scrambling. And you look at the places where he's done well, second at Riviera, second at Copperhead, third at Congressional when he was almost a tour rookie. Congressional has some very good links with that US Open um, host course, the one that uh, McElroy won. Yeah, you can see that with McElroy, yeah. Yeah, and the, yeah. He's also finished seventh at Bethpage Black. So, you know, tough, brutal, classical golf courses in America. He actually comes to the fore. So I think this will suit Kokrag. I've had a speculative point each way at 66s on Aaron Wise. He he blows hot and cold. Um, he could miss the cut as easily as win this. But that's what you get with a second-year PGA Tour player. But if there's one thing we know from last year, he's an exceptional talent. He was second here last year. Sixth at the WGC in Bridgestone. Fifth at Ridgewood in the Northern Trust in the playoffs. Made the Tour Championship on his Tour uh, debut as a rookie where he was the rookie of the season. But his play. Um, I remember listening um, via Matt Wiley's uh, Golflandia podcast to um, Ray Floyd Jr.'s comments prior to the Masters. Yep. And when when Matt asked him about you know players further down you know the, the pecking order, he instantly mentioned how comfortable and talented he, he'd noted Aaron Wise was by following him over a few holes. Yeah. Uh, if got, I remember correctly as well, that, that, that first morning on Thursday, he was leading for a big chunk of time 
at like at three under, and then all of a sudden he did a typical Aaron Wise thing and threw in a double bogey and a <laughs> bogey and fell away. Yeah. But over the weekend, only Patrick Cantlay and Webb Simpson shot a better score around Augusta. Yeah, no, he's good. He's a talented lad. He is. It's, there's a lot to like about him. So here, where a natural putter, which he is, um, will be rewarded, and on a course where everyone's going to be making bogeys, because it's that tough, um, I could see him potentially, he's fifth in my eight-week GIR tracker, I could see him um, actually contending this week. 24 for driving distance, 34 for total driving. He's just a very talented individual. The only negative, well, there's two negatives with Aaron. He could miss the cut, because that's just the way he plays. But secondly, he uh, he defends his Byron Nelson title next week. Mm. Now, you quite like that. I know that for a fact. You quite yeah. like a player who is clearly building themselves up for a defence. I, yeah. I think it can... I think it can affect their um, expectations mentally. I think they can relax the week before sometimes because the the demands, the media demands, the the focus, the spotlight's going to be on them the following week. And the week before, um, it's, it's kind of the, the, the calm before the storm. And I, you do see it. You do see it enough times to make it a consideration with your with your punting, I think. Um, mm. So, yeah, I, no, I like that angle. I do. At bigger prices, I think Keith Mitchell will be popular this week. Mm. He clearly hits it a long way. He's clearly a Bermuda grass um, expert. Uh, his win at the PJ, at PJ National at the Honda Classic, and then he back, back that up at Bay Hill, the outing after. I think Mitchell could go extremely well. He's very, very long, very aggressive. Um, very positive strokes gained here last year. Um there's, there's quite a few at bigger prices that might have a decent chance around here. Um, he was the top of... Uh, he was close to the top. But actually, I went with Sam Burns, who I know that we've spoken about on a number of podcasts, but he's a real Bermuda grass specialist. Yeah. A young, talented player in his first PGA Tour season. He reminds me slightly of Aaron Wise, who finished second here last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was ninth at Harbour Town, and that kind of ties in with where you were at with Kurt Kitayama, saying, "Well, actually, Kitayama was it Kitayama, the guy that he played very well at um, in Morocco on a course that wasn't going to suit him." Yeah, yeah, he's, he's 14th, and yeah, you know, I don't think that that game, his game, really, no. really works there. But yeah, it's, it's an eye opener, you know, and I think you've got to consider these things, haven't you? And I. I was sitting there looking at the RBC leaderboard and Burns was the player that I had in mind for this. And sure enough, um, he started firing there and he was in the top 10 after round one. And I'm just doing the usual. God, Sam, you're just destroying your price for next week. <laughs> so actually, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised to see 125s about him yesterday. Yeah, yeah. That's a good price. Because I remember Phil, um, I remember Tiger Woods really praising Sam Burns when he played with him at Copperhead, and he also played with him, I think, at PGA National last year when Burns wasn't even a tour member. Yeah. Saying what a talented individual he is, and this guy can blast it, Burns. He's very, very strong off the tee. Um, he's in the top twenty for driving distance. Um, he eats par fives, and as we know, he's a good scrambler and. His putting on Bermuda grass is excellent. Mm. All of his good results are on B Bermuda grass or, or PASP. So, yes, uh, Sam Burns, um, I've gone for him a point each way, 125 to 1 as well. There's a little bit of that left at Ladbrokes if you're prepared to take five places, but any extended places, he's uh, he's 100, uh, 100 to 1 or Coral chalked him up at 66s and that's been backed in. Yeah, yeah. So yes, Burns. Who um, who are you interested in this week? Um, I, I said to you about um, when I went looking at the stats early yesterday morning that Matt Every caught my eye. Um, I don't think I back Every outright. Um, he's one of these ones that I do keep an eye on for first round leader punts, and um, I'll have to wait until the the draw later on because I, I 
get the feeling that the PM starters may well just get a bit of a break with this in terms of um, slightly lower winds and uh, stronger, higher temperatures. Um, last year's first round leader came out of the PM wave as well. I think it was uh, John Peterson from memory. Yeah, it was. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I... Every's he's been straight. He's been hitting the ball um, well from tee to green. Um, he was third last week alongside uh, Kevin Lee in the uh, the pairs event. Um, so if he's got a PM start, one hundred and twenty five to one, I think I'll be having a bit of Matt Every first round leader. Um, in terms of the outright market, the one I've backed is Kevin Strillman at one hundred to one, who's got three top fourteen finishes here over the years. Mm. Um, Sixth at Texas Open, he closed with 64 that week. Sixth at the Heritage as well. Now, he missed the cut last week, in that, again, in that pairs event alongside Vaughan Taylor. But, um, again, how much you read into that one way or the other is, is debatable, mm. um, in my view. Um, what I like about Strawman, going back to what you were saying about uh, players who, who are putting well recently, he's, he's won on Bermuda in the past. Um, but his last two um, scoring events, those two sixth place finishes, he was um, he was fourteenth and eighteenth putting average on those two weeks, putting sub one point seven on both occasions, and in the top six for greens in regulation on both those events as well. So he's hitting the ball um, nicely from tee to green, or his his irons are working well, and he's making his fair share of birdies when he's in that position as well. So I thought 100 to 1 with six places available seeing as he's finished sixth in two of his last three starts. He's got a bit of course form. Seems to all add, up, all add up to me. And If he can sneak a sixth place out of this, then that'll be a, a, a decent little return, I think. Yeah, that's the only only other one that I've backed. I do like some of yours, I must say. I'm going to have a little fish through some of the, uh, some of the bookies now and see... Uh, See what prices I can get. So a few of them have been decimated since you put your preview out last night. Decimation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Streelman, it, across some of these t- uh, courses that I was looking for, format, he's, he's performed well at those. Mm. Like uh, Muirfield Village. Yeah. Uh, he's done well. Uh, he's also played very well at Torrey Pines, and there's a strong link. You know, Jason Day, two time winner at Torrey Pines. Yeah, yeah. So for a player that isn't a boomer, the thing with Strelman is he, he's a he's a he's a he's a real tee to green man, isn't he? And it's normally the putter that's absolutely atrocious. So when he's actually firing the putter, he's a he's a real danger because clearly, yeah, yeah, yeah. if he's still playing as well tee to green and then making some putts, watch out. Yeah, he can be very streaky with a putter, can't he? He can make a lot of birdies when he when he gets on the. On a bit of a run with a putter, so I think people might be interested in Trey Mullinax this week for obvious reasons. He's playing some good golf. He's a big bomber. But there's one player I haven't seen a lot of mention of. I know that Barry would probably be bigging up Peter Uline this week because he does at events like this, and Uline was in the top five last week. But there's a player that I also had a very close look at who I think could go very well here. He's a natural putter who hits the ball an absolute country mile. Mm-hmm. Wyndham Clark. Yeah. Two hundred and fifty to one with Unibet right now, and as we say with Unibet, he's two hundred and fifty to one there, and no one else is anywhere close to that price whatsoever. It's norm is mainly all one fifties. I mean, Boyles are one twenty fives, mm. and their Unibet are at two fifties. Yeah, yeah. But I could, I could see Clark doing something this week. Very, very. I think he's in the top six or seven for driving distance, but he's one of these. Guys that can hit it a long way can actually putt. So I think this course will really suit Wyndham Clark. Mm. So that's another one that I would uh, potentially bear in mind as well. So yes, should be a good week of golf. Yeah, looking forward to it. And as you say, big week next week with uh, as we start our preparations for for the PGA Championship. Have you seen who's playing in the Betfred British Masters? Yeah, I've had a little look through at the field, actually. It's it's not bad. It's not bad. So you've got the likes of uh, Fleetwood Wallace, Hatton Pepperell, headlining out of the top yeah, yeah. Uh, top 50 in the OWGR. Kymer's there. Westwood's there. He does like okay. to support these uh, these uh, British Masters events, doesn't he? Mm. So, yeah, you've you got, you got a few players at the top end there to, to support what is then, beneath that, a, a pretty strong, regular European yeah. tour event. So... Uh, yeah. Good to see. 
it is good to see. It looks like the weather's improving towards that end of that week as well. So that should uh, should hopefully uh, make it a nice few days for the spectators up there. What price do you think Tommy will be as favourite? Go on. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll remind you about this next one. What do you reckon? Eight? It's going to be in that bracket. I've, I, 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 my, my gut was maybe nine, ten to one, something like that. But yeah, he's he's got to be short, and he is he going to be backable? No. Is he going to have a lot on his plate in terms of uh, a hell of a lot media responsibilities? And uh, mm. yeah, it's, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting one to try and um, to try and decipher. Looking forward to it very much, must say. Should be good. Right. Thank you for your time, Paul. Yeah. Best of luck this week. Best of luck to you. Hopefully, you can break that uh, run of runner-up positions. Yeah, fingers crossed. And uh, we will see you all again next week. So thanks for listening to the Golf Betting System podcast and uh, have a great week. Bye-bye.